I want to talk to us this morning. Uh, I shared last week on the uh, on, on the topic of rest, which was interesting because I'd done a series in 2019 right before pandemic. I you know I knew that was going to happen. No, I didn't. Uh, but but as I was going back and looking, I was like, oh my goodness, it's such a such a good message. And then I, I alluded last week. I said, you know, maybe we'll come back to this. I want to just touch on one more message out of that series. So this is something I've shared before, but as I do, I want I want to give it a little bit of a backdrop, which is th- simply this: um, we we want to put on our our thinking caps when we think about some of the you know like the commands of God. You know, I grew up rehearsing the Ten Commandments, as and often you know those got internalized as duties that you had to keep, right? Uh, and again, one of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And what we looked at last week was that the reality of Sabbath is really about a theology of God. It isn't about a duty to be fulfilled, but it's about the, the reality that God rested from what He's doing. He's, he's, he's being, He's rested in the fullness of who He is. That's a huge thought. So... When God gives this invitation, remember the Sabbath, it's partly this, not just this thing of don't, you know, don't go to Furs used to be the cafeteria that was in our hometown. I don't even know if they exist anymore, but out west, it was one of the, you know, the, don't go to the buffet. It isn't because you're not going to the buffet line. It's the, it's the reality that we're being reminded, oh, yes, this is the place that I exist in the gospel. So bring us into the New Testament, and Jesus gives teaching and you could take the Sermon on the Mount in some ways and say, this is Jesus' commentary, if you will, about, uh, about the law. He says things like, you know, you've heard that it was said, uh, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I'm telling you, love your enemy. Uh, Jesus gives this sense of, like, sharing the heart of God. So in Matthew 6, we have in the Sermon on the Mount three primary, what we would call spiritual disciplines that... The church has taught on many times, which is prayer, giving, and um, fasting. Okay, those three. Uh, fasting is so hard for me to remember, right? I don't like it. That's why. <laughs> but prayer, giving, and fasting. But then there is also this other one that is really interesting because we, it's like we don't connect with it very well. And it's the discipline that I want to call the discipline of rest. And so I've titled the message this morning, The Neglected Discipline, Rest, The Neglected Discipline. Um, I want to read from Matthew 6, and this is the latter part of Matthew 6. And uh, you, in your translations, it would say something like, don't, you know, begins with, don't worry. But I, I love the way that Eugene Peterson translated this. So if you want to follow in your Bible, that's fine. Uh, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes, whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outward appearance than the clothes that you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to job description, careless in the care of God. Isn't that great? And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror ever gotten taller? I should say that to my 
No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to point that out to any of my family members. Has anyone fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much even an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes much difference? Instead of looking at fashions, walk into the fields. Look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But you've never, ever seen color and design quite like it. The 10 best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention in appearance to wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you? Do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality. God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come when the time comes. Again, last week we looked at the idea that Jesus is our Sabbath and that he invites us into the good news of the gospel. What I want to proclaim today is that God's giving is better than our getting and our gaining. So the very best thing that we can do right now is relax in his work. Rest. The neglected discipline. I, I've shared a few weeks ago about some of my experiences as chaplain. As a young man walking in and and encountering things that, for most you know guys in their mid-20s, are not going to see this right away, but encountering life-limiting illnesses that had struck individuals without warning, coming into the emergency room, and, and especially for those young teen, 20-year-olds that decided they needed to get a bicycle with an engine on it, in between their legs and thought it was the greatest thing on the planet, which, by the way, I still ban from my children for good reason. Hallelujah. Amen. But uh, I'm talking about, more, you know, just these awful accidents that would come into the door in the ER. And all, when these things would happen, here's what I, I didn't notice it at first, but I began to do this sort of thing where I would sort of take mental notes in my brain. Like, oh, don't ride a motorcycle. That's, I can do that. Don't let my kids. Don't let my wife. Um, or, or, or things like uh, when I had an individual who uh, died of a heart attack, young man, in a, well, I call him young now because I'm much older than that. He was barely 50. Um, I thought, okay, pay attention to your heart health and it'll all be okay. I mean, you know, just all these little mental cues. 
Because, and, and here's what I was doing that I subconsciously, it took me a while to figure this out, okay? But subconsciously, I was like figuring out a way that I was going to dodge harm coming into my life. Not that anybody's ever done that, right? But, the, the, but see, we love the illusion that we can control what's around us, right? So I was, I was like living right into that thing. And then there was a day, I, I remember the day that we had a, a, a gal, I went to go visit her, and striking, uh, she was a striking gal, but she looked a lot like my wife, who was striking, okay? And I remember coming in to see her, and I, she, she's vibrant and bubbly, and a lot like my wife, and vibrant and bubbly, and I'm like, oh, you know, just chatting, out, chatting it up with her, she's telling about, well, she had reached down to, to tie her shoes, massive headache, just like couldn't even hardly see straight kind of headache, wound up going to the ER, they, they discovered that she had an, an aneurysm, and they did surgery right away, they clipped it, and she's excited, and she's, you know, elated about what her future is going to look like, and my husband's going to be here in a minute, and I met her husband, said hello, and I was, just, you know, so glad, kind of high five. this is awesome, great outcome, good stuff. Went home. The next day, I came back to the hospital because I was due, for, I think for a 72-hour, if I remember right, I would, I was much younger then and not very smart, but, you know, I would do these 72-hour on-calls where no other chaplain was in the hospital because I figured I'd jam all my on-calls together at once, and it made sense to me back then, sort of live at the hospital for three days straight. So I, I was there, and as I got there into the hospital, I'm going through the, the journal to see we, that we would keep for one another on paper. I'm sure they don't do this anymore on paper, but I'm looking at it, and all of a sudden I saw this name of this gal, and I was like, oh, my goodness, she's back in ICU. And I went down to, right away to the waiting room and found her husband just in a puddle of emotion and I said what happened well in a very rare moment she had a her her brain stem simply reacted and began to if you will kind of shiver they have no reason no understanding why it happened and it triggered a bleed and she was basically gone thought, that could be my wife. I couldn't, I couldn't control that. And so it, that one threw me for a loop because I thought, oh, my word. Okay, I was trying to dodge mortality. There's stuff you can't dodge. Well, then, you know, a year or two later, as I'm now pastoring a church and had really given myself into the ministry of prayer to the point that I began to study things like the history of prayer and the history of revival, and there's this connection between prayer and revival, and I had become confident enough in my prayer and my prayer life that indeed God was hearing me. Now, I've shared that part of the outcome with you guys before that so much so that I sent my wife to the doctor, even though she said I haven't felt the baby, I felt it would be somehow a, a statement of unbelief to go with her. So I prayed confidently, and I didn't get what I was praying for. 
Now, both of those positions, number one, the first one, where we're anticipating there's a bad thing, but I can avoid it. I'll control. I'll, I'll make sure it doesn't happen. Or the other one, controlling it by somehow controlling it with our piety or our prayer life or whatever you want to fill, put in the blank for. Either one of those positions is this issue of control and not resting in the goodness of the Father. Because I had no imagination for the idea that God could meet me in pain and in difficulty. Therefore, to have to be in that must mean God wasn't there. I heard a definition about fear that I think is worth taking note of. Fear is anticipating a future apart from the mercy of God and the presence of God. You hear that? So we hear the diagnosis. And, and I'm sorry to say, listen to me, many and many, many points in my own journey, fear has done more to motivate my prayer life and my prayer life for the church, and I've watched it happen in the church. I remember the old, you know, the days back in 9-11, we had a building full of people wanting to pray. It wasn't praying for the joy of knowing God. It was prayer because of an unknown future that stood in front of us, if we're actually honest. See, fear is anticipating a future apart from the mercy and the presence and the grace of God. Here's the reason this message is relevant at about any other point in our, our lives, okay? There's just not a one of us that ha doesn't have moments, and we've already shared several of them right now. We have things that can drive us into angst, into fear. I wonder what's going to happen next. The economy, our future, diagnoses, you name it. We've got no end to things that can drive us to anxiety and to fear and drive us to worry. And Jesus then says something that seems almost completely unrealistic. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Jesus, seriously. Worry is our job description. Our future, our kids, our grandkids now. You know, I tell my kids now that they're, you know, grown. I, say, I used to think, whoo, can't wait till we get done with this phase of life. And I, you know, Denise and I can at least sleep at night together. We won't be woken up by crying babies and fevers. And now we lay about, wake about things that we worry and are concerned about our children and their future. See, those of you, <laughs> we're all like, yeah, yeah, that's true, man. <laughs> we're, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The what ifs. Well, what if we lose our freedoms? What if the economy falls apart? What if terrorists strike close to home? There's no end of stuff to worry about. Jesus says, do not worry about your life. And this is the same world that he came into and that he's still living in. 
please don't mistake this. Let me give a couple definitions of worry. I, I kind of equate that worry and fear thing about anticipating a future apart from the grace and the mercy of God. Being, see, it, it, worry isn't being cautious or careful or planning. It's what we do after we've planned. A disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate level of fear. It's fearing what we cannot control. We know that a seatbelt is important. We know a sunscreen is important, especially if you're some fair-skinned dude. But Jesus says, watch this. To worry is futile and opposed to the kingdom. Because the lie behind worry is, I can get my hands on this and control it. I can prevent the bad stuff. I you know, it's, it's, again, one thing to be responsible. It's quite another to be just a little bit concerned. The point is worry is not rest. It turns our attention away from God and his providence, and it leads our heart and our heart's attentions and affections away from God and onto us, which might make our narcissistic tendencies happy, but it is not the kingdom of God. So Jesus' invitation, don't worry about your life. It's really inviting us to let go of the things that make us feel like we're in control and to be reminded, yes, I'm trusting that I actually have a Father who loves me. Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 6 is laid against these two illustrations of the plants and birds. The reason that he did that is because rabbinic teachers of that day used two common themes. Birds and plants. Rabbis used to say humans earn their bread by the sweat of their brow, calling the attention to them. Uh, another one from Isaiah 40, you know, the grass withers, the flowers fall. They would make the point, your life is brief, make the most of it. And then Jesus turns and says, if God provides for the smallest, insignificant creatures, don't you think that he will care for you, his most precious and important creature made in his image. His point wasn't to lay guilt and a weight on us, but to invite us to be fascinated from the perspective of the Father's heart. If God gives such attention to the appearance of the wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll tend to you? Take pride in you. Do his best for you. There is a flower I'd love to tell you about. It's, I think it's, it's in India. It's called a catapul flower. It is the rarest flower on the planet. They have never been sold in a market. They bloom once from midnight to daybreak. That's it. They're extremely rare. They're considered the king of the Alps. And they only grow at 10,000 feet for short seasons. They're, they're so incredible, yet rarely seen in their natural habitat. And I remember when I first heard about this flower, I had a Native American teacher who was teaching us about the nature of God. And he asked this question, so why? Nobody's going to see it. 
Why did God make that? Because God likes flowers. Here's the point. If God provides for the smallest, most insignificant, that little hummingbird that I love to get to see just about every day comes buzzing by my window because my wife put a feeder right outside my window. How does he care for his most important and precious creation, you and I? See, worry is this anxiety about what we cannot control. It keeps the attention on me, my limited resource, my limited ability. Rest is to trust in his infinite ability and his unlimited resources. He is an abundant God. Oh, wait a minute. The psalmist says it this way. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they watch over me. You prepare a table of abundance before those who trouble me. See, rest is about trust. Worry is what happens when I want to stay seated on the throne of my life and the kingdom may be. Rest happens when God is on the throne of my life and I'm living in his kingdom. I'm saying, Lord, it's, it's, it really is you. So, guys, this really is a, a kingship, lordship issue. And it's not based in how we feel. I can tell you this morning, I grew, I grew up, I grew up, I woke up. Come on, brain. I woke up this morning with the crummiest of emotions on me. Just feeling lousy. I want to say this to you. Choosing to say, Lord, I rest and believe you. You see, this, it's about a trust issue. So how did Jesus put this in Matthew 6? Don't worry about your life. Here's what you need to do. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. By the way, that word means justice. And all these things will be given to you. Now, a lot of us have taken that term, and we translated it this way roughly. I'm just going to give you a rough paraphrase. Be sure your priorities are right. Make sure you prayed first. Tithe first. Well, actually, I want to challenge that mindset. Seek first the kingdom isn't just that I started the day with a prayer. To seek first the kingdom is that my heart is surrendered and motivated out of love. Mark 14 and John 12, we won't turn there, but there's this story about Mary who comes to anoint the feet of Jesus, and Judas is critical, Peter is offended, but love fills the room. And Jesus, Jesus is, is saying this, you can't be in this room and not notice the aroma of love or affection for Jesus. And Jesus said, that's what it's about. This isn't about, quote, your priorities. It's about a heart issue. To seek first the kingdom is a heart issue. Secondly, stay settled in the present. Jesus said each day has enough trouble of its own. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request 
to God, let them be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus in everything. That includes contradictions, difficulties, and things I can't explain. And we've got plenty of them in our lives. In everything, choosing more than just a prayer list, but to live deeply set in this reality. I want to be present. Oh, my goodness, God, you're right here. Yes. I am the one in whom Christ dwells by his spirit. Therefore, nothing is ordinary. He's living in me in what feels incredibly ordinary and wants to make the extraordinary affections of heaven known to me on the earth. Beloved, I want to give a profound truth to us right now. We can only live in the kingdom of God right now. See, when we have a theology that has this idea that the kingdom of God is somewhere out there tomorrow, something that's always out distancing us, we're, we're not understanding that the kingdom of God is right here and most of our worries and our anxiety are due, watch this, to habits, bad habits that we have learned believing that the kingdom of God isn't with us and that he isn't near us. And we get consumed about yesterday or tomorrow and we're not present. So I pray... Psalm 103 as well, almost every day. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is in me. And I often pause right there to just notice, oh, yeah, I'm feeling anxious about where my kids are right now with this. I'm feeling anxious about where some of the bills are here with this. I'm feeling this about this need that's going on that we're trying to address Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, the disappointments that I'm feeling that are actually happening, that have touched me, that have hurt me, all that is in me, bless his holy name. Forget not his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Whew. Yes. You don't mind how I'm feeling right now? You don't. He doesn't. I'm feeling angsty. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is in me. Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I will not fear, for you are with me. See, the passion of heaven has been and continues to be this present reality that we live present to him right here where we are. For you to experience the beauty of God and the Godhead, we've got to be in the present. Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own, Jesus said. Just stay present. And then finally, Finally, there's this beautiful reality of safely resting in the fact that of where we actually are. 
Do you know where you actually are and how valuable you are and where you are? You live in an unshakable kingdom. Denise and I just had the, the, the distinct joy of being able to have our granddaughter last weekend for the whole weekend. Great time. Woke us up in the middle of the night, fell out of bed, whined and carried on, fussed about things, but we got to be Oma and Opa. And then, sure enough, uh, mom and dad come home, and then this last week, it was a regular day that she normally would come over on a Wednesday so that you know, Holly would bring her over Wednesday about noon, and she stays the afternoon with us. It's time for a nap. And uh, I wasn't there, by the way, present for that, but Denise was going to take her for a nap. And we had put a rollaway bed into our room, and uh, I took it and put it away after the weekend, and she comes walking into the room. She says, where is my bed? I said, no, honey, this isn't your house. Something about that three-year-old, at this juncture, she's, she's connected with this, idea, with this reality that Oma and Opa's house is just like my house. I can just be myself here. And they're going to care for me. Now, I don't want to, you know, every illustration falls apart somewhere, and I'm not trying to over, you know, project something, but here's what I'm trying to get at. Living in the unshakable kingdom of God means that I'm believing, God, you're present, and I'm present to you, but you're present to me. Second Corinthians 4, we have a treasure in jars of clay that the surpassing uh, greatness of his power of God is not from ourselves. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, always carrying in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus would be manifested in us. The safest place for us to be is to be reminded, oh, yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm in your hands. I'm in, I'm in my Father's house. He's, he's caring for me. He's the one who's present to me. Does it mean that we're not going to experience danger and difficulty? Well, you know, there's times we've had to say, to our son and daughter, oops, she had a mistake. Something happened. She fell down. She got hurt, this, that. But Paul says it this way in Romans 8, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that neither death or life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nothing in all of created order will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, learning the neglected discipline of rest, it really is about choosing to pause and to be mindful of his presence. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4. Are you anxious? Present your request to God. And the God of peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, here I give them to you, all that's in me. And then, Father, awaken me to your presence in the present. And this is 
Philippians 4, 8 follows that commission to pray, prayer, you know, present all your requests to God and help guard your hearts and minds like a fortress. Uh, verse 8 says this, here's what you think about. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable, admirable, beautiful, respectful, pure, holy, merciful, and kind. Fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. I've heard Denise pray this verse many, many different times in different prayer meetings that we've shared. Colossians 3, 1. If you're serious about living this resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Beloved, rest is the neglected discipline of surrendering in truth to God's present in the present tense. That's the good news that we're proclaiming today. Is that his rest, his rest is better than our getting and our gaining. And so the very best thing that we can do is relax in his work and rest. Would you guys join me in this? Uh, I want to close us in this prayer this morning. Would you stand with me as we come to the place of prayer together? And then we're going to come to communion. Those of you on the call, if you would, grab something to share communion together with us. And then we'll, uh, I'll lead us to the table here in just a few moments. Almighty God, would you pray this with me? You rescue us from our enemies that we may serve you without fear. Strengthen us that we may share in the inheritance of the saints in your kingdom of light. Amen and amen. We give thanks to you, O God, for the, your goodness and love which you have made known to us in creation, in the calling of Israel to be your people, in your words spoken through the prophets, and above all, in the word made flesh, Jesus your son. For in these days you sent him to be the incarnate from the Virgin Mary, to be the Savior and Redeemer of the world. In him you've delivered us from evil and made us worthy to stand before you. In him you have brought us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. On the night before he died for us, our Lord Jesus took the bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, according to this command, O Father, we remember his death we proclaim his resurrection and we await his coming in glory.
So, beloved, I'm going to invite you to come as you feel led. Share in the communion. If you came prepared to give, we invite you to leave your offering there in the box, and I'll close us in communion or in prayer in just a few moments. remembering your work. We proclaim with thanksgiving. We celebrate your death, your resurrection, and we await the day of your coming, O God. And now, Lord, we just proclaim your grace and your peace be upon your people. You, the one who lifts our heads, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing as that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Bless you all.